If you'll turn to chapter five in the gospel of Luke, we're moving along through this gospel and we're getting to see some amazing uh, moments in the ministry of our savior. Before we look at today's moment, actually it's a couple of moments, I wanna ask you a question. It's at the top of your outline. It's a question I don't know that we uh, enjoy asking or, or maybe even choose to ask very often, but we're gonna ask it today. We're gonna think very carefully about this. How needy are you? How needy are you? See, when I hear that word, maybe you can relate to this. I just, that, that, I just don't like that idea of neediness. It just, the, the sound of the word, it just kind of gets all over you, doesn't it? As a little boy, I felt very vulnerable. Grew up in a broken home. I was kind of dumpy. I was, wasn't really socially adept. Um, I was kind of artsy. I, was, I felt like I was kind of always on the outside looking in. I felt very needy and I hated it. Hated it. And I decided I was never, ever, if it was in my power, I was never gonna be in a position where I needed anyone or anything. So I performed, I worked, I competed, I did everything I could to put myself in a position where everyone else was obligated to me. Not that I needed them. I would earn respect, attention, kindness, whatever it was. That was my strategy for life. Funny thing is, you know, I, I probably looked less needy to the people around me, but I couldn't ever get away from it on the inside. I just kept feeling it. That was how I navigated so much of my life. And today I'm less threatened by neediness. Um, but I still have plenty of self-sufficiency, self-reliance. That's such an easy thing for me to drift into. And then I come to a passage like we're gonna read today and I'm reminded just how good God is. We just sang about God is so good. He is so good in my neediest places. And because he is who he is, I can be broken yet hopeful in the worst parts of my life. So let's jump into this amazing uh, moment in Jesus' ministry. We're gonna look at two men, a leper and a paralytic. I feel fairly certain that you aren't as needy as those guys physically, just as needy as those guys spiritually. And we're gonna look at these two men, two stories of an encounter with Jesus. And I'm gonna kind of work all the way through uh, one side of your outline with the leper, and then we'll work back down through the same thing. These two stories really parallel one another with the paralytic. So we have a man full of leprosy. It says, while Jesus was in one of the cities, so he's kind of doing his itinerant ministry, going from city to city. Uh, there came a man full of leprosy. And as I read this, I thought this is a hopeless condition. A hopeless condition. Uh, leprosy in that day 
It, it, it was just it, like, I don't know that we can relate to it. We can probably think of some diseases that uh, might correlate or be, be similar in some way, but this was a serious skin disease that, that literally covered a person's body over time. And eventually they would literally lose limbs and other features on their body as a result of the deterioration. It was incredibly contagious and ultimately fatal. And the only strategy that the ancient world had to deal with this disease was quarantine. So if you get leprosy, guess where you go? Out, <laughs> away, as far away from everybody else as we can possibly get you. I want you to look at Leviticus 13. And I, I don't want you to hear these words and think that there's something mean-spirited about this. This is desperate. This is a community that has someone in it that are, is so contagious. If everybody else gets it, everybody dies. So here's the solution, Leviticus 13. If you were pronounced unclean, by a priest, which would mean that you had this disease, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover up his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is, just in case you're wondering, unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Do you ever feel unclean? This guy felt it every day. He woke up to it and he went to sleep to it every night. And, and no kidding, if anybody is around him that doesn't have the disease, it's his responsibility. I'm unclean, stay away. Hopeless condition. I'm assuming it's, it was very rare that this condition would change, that it would just go away. This guy, <laughs> he shows up in the city. He breaks all kinds of boundaries because he wants to get in front of this man that he heard can heal people. And so he, he just disregards everything. He comes into the city and he's looking for Jesus and he wants to make a personal appeal. In your outline, a bold yet humble Appeal. Listen to this. When he, that is the, the leper, saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That's broken yet hopeful, isn't it? He shows tremendous humility, literally falls on his face, prostrate before Jesus. But his humility doesn't temper his boldness. You know, he, he speaks with, 
with utter respect of, uh, of Jesus. But he, he asks. He seems confident in the ability of Jesus to heal him. If you will, so I'm assuming, if you want to heal me, you can do it. My question is, I'm not sure if you want to. That would have been the framework for this guy. If you will, you can cleanse me. And then just imagine the agony of that moment, that needy moment. What's Jesus going to do? Does he want to? Will he exercise what I believe is his ability? There's not a hint of entitlement in this guy. He just comes and asks. You know, I think you can tell a lot, of per- a lot about a person's awareness of their needs, since that's what we're talking about today, by the way they ask. Well, here's Jesus' response, a healing declaration. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Don't miss that. And he said, I will be clean. Luke highlights Jesus' intentionality. Imagine, this man is full of leprosy. It isn't just like the beginning signs. It's all over him. Probably repulsive. Sores everywhere. On his face. In the dirt. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. Isn't that awesome? I wonder if he found the worst, ugliest, nastiest place on him and put his hand right there. Just to say, listen, you can't make me dirty, but I can make you clean. So he touches him. And ceremonially, this is what I love about Jesus. That would have made him, quote, unclean in the eyes of Israel, certainly the religious leaders. But he says, I'm going to go there anyway. He touches him. And then he speaks authoritatively to that disease Be clean, get out. This man spent his life outside the camp and Jesus sends the disease outside the camp and it obeys. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Everything changed for this guy in a moment. Immediate transformation. And it seems effortless for Jesus, doesn't it? It's not like there's not this, all these theatrics. It's not this big show. He's not flying banners all over the place. He just speaks a word and the leprosy is gone and the man is restored, period. And we get to read about it today. That ought to say something to you and to me about our need, about God's ability to deal with our need. 
Now, this miraculous moment isn't intended to provide readers with a recipe for healing, although it is a physical healing. We all know, and this is hard, this is, this is living in a broken world. Sometimes healing doesn't happen in this life. And that's the tension, isn't it? We're, we're Christ followers. We know that he has the ability, but we also know that sometimes that ability doesn't get exercised in this life. Now, having said that, what this story is meant to tell us is that he will exercise his ability either now or later, but we will be healed. And not just physically, but spiritually, and which is more important? I don't say that lightly. I know that walking through life with illness or difficult circumstances, suffering of any kind, that is hard, hard stuff, especially anything that you might call chronic. But here's what I know, an eternity in heaven will so go beyond whatever we might experience in this life. We gotta, we gotta hold on to that, this healing that God promises. So here's the idea. If Jesus can heal a man full of leprosy, then he can do anything. Like if he, this moment right here tells you that God is bigger then anything you might have in your life, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, whatever it is, he's bigger. This is intended to cultivate our confidence that there is a grace that is greater than all our sin, as the old hymn says. And we need to know that. Jesus does kind of an interesting thing. He, we talked a little bit about this last week in a, in a similar passage in verse 14. It says he charged the formerly leprous man to tell no one and go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So it's a little bit curious, what, what's going on here? Why is Jesus, what, wouldn't you think if he's gonna do something this big, wouldn't you want him to tell everybody? But Jesus knows the hearts of humanity and he knows what this would likely uh, produce in his culture. So I think there's a few reasons here why, why Jesus does this with this guy. First of all, it does minimize shallow public attention. So I'm sure lots of people are coming and they don't give a rip about Jesus or God or anything else. They just want relief. And that's not altogether bad, but that's not the primary thing that Jesus is going for here, right? Because he wants to deal with their spiritual condition. So 
He minimizes the shallow public attention, but he also fulfills the Mosaic law. See, it was commanded in Leviticus 14 that if you were to be made clean, you were to go to the priest and you were to let him declare you clean. You were to make a sacrifice as a response of gratitude for God's work on your behalf. And that would declare to everyone, hey, God did something here. And then it would allow that person to re-enter society. Remember, they're living outside the camp. So what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, I'm not in conflict with the law. I'm actually fulfilling the law. I'm not telling him to disobey what Moses said. I'm telling him to do it. And that testimony is going to be for the religious leaders, the one who are going to have the biggest problem with Jesus. So there's a lot of strategy going on here with Jesus in terms of his message. He's trying to get it to the right place at the right time in order to maximize the redemptive effect. So he says, don't go tell everybody right now. First, go to the priest, take care of business there. Then you can re-enter society with his blessing and then you can tell your story because everybody's gonna ask. Pretty cool. Despite uh, an attempt at discretion, word spread. So people are swarming Jesus. They're coming from everywhere to see him. And uh, we get a repeat of something we saw last week. Luke concludes this first episode about the leper with another mention of Jesus withdrawing. Look in verse uh, 16. But he that is Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And as I saw that and I thought about our theme for today, I thought, here it is. God models needy. God models needy for us. This is God in the flesh. But he doesn't act self-sufficient, self-reliant, independent, autonomous. No, he goes out into these desolate places. Nobody else around. It's him and his father who he loves. And he knows the father loves him. And that is where he finds life. Not from the applause of the crowd, not from the popularity of the culture, not even a, getting a shot in the arm from having power over darkness and disease and all that. No, he finds his life in relationship with the Father. So he goes there to be renewed. Professor Daryl Box says this, despite all the activity Jesus is portrayed as seeking time with God rather than fanning his fame. The activity's very scope and importance requires that time be spent with God. I wonder, do, do we have that mindset? Do you get, like what Jeff's talking about, being in the mission 24-7, do you understand that you cannot do that? It is literally impossible without connecting intimately with your God and being attentive to his spirit. We cannot be self-reliant if we're gonna go about doing the things of God. Second story, a man who was paralyzed. 
Luke shifts from one ministry setting to another. The people are swarming Jesus. But in this episode, um, in this setting, there's gonna be a, a new group of attendees a new group of people in the mix. Look at verse 17. On one of those days, again, Jesus is just continuing his ministry. As he was teaching, Pharisees and teacher of the law were sitting there. Uh Uh-oh. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. That last statement there, it's a little bit of a narrative insert by Luke. It's like, he, it's like the big guns showed up, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they came from everywhere, even Jerusalem. And then it's like Luke says, and make no mistake, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Just, you know, just so that the reader understands, God is on the move here, regardless of who's in the crowd. Now, it's interesting, the the healing of the leprous man, and Jesus apparently did this in a lot of different places, you know, I I mean, this was becoming a regular deal. So word like that gets out, but that healing of the leper, that was no less than raising someone from the dead. So Jesus has their attention and they show up. But what's interesting is here, they're not there kind of thinking like in anticipation, this could be the Messiah. Like we know our Old Testament. It's pointing to a deliverer, one who would come and restore all things. I wonder if this is the guy. Just underline sitting. They're sitting. And that was sending a clear message to Jesus. Listen, dude, you aren't teaching us. We're judging you. That's what what they did. The teacher sat. They didn't stand. So Luke points that out. Here's these Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting, judging, critiquing, trying to catch Jesus in uh, some kind of problem. And this, this isn't really a theological debate. This is, this is more of like that clash between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God, right? And, uh, Jesus is a very polarizing figure. Regardless of what he's doing, he's sort of forcing everybody to take a side. Are you gonna stand with Jesus or are you gonna stand against him? Those are your two options based upon what he does and what he says. So we're presented with another hopeless condition. This time it's a paralytic, verse 18. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Now, this guy is severely crippled. We're we're to understand, I think, that he was utterly dependent upon others to get anywhere around town. If nobody's helping him, he stays where he is all the time. Every day. Does that sound kind of hopeless again? Sort of similar to the leper? That is his life. And I want us to think about the magnitude of this moment. Um, I can't get inside the guy's head, but you've been paralyzed. We don't know how long, but 
once you're paralyzed, I'm gonna assume that you don't expect to ever leave your mat. Like that's, that's gonna be life for you. And then these guys come along and I don't know if they're friends or not. Maybe they're just guys who feel sorry for him. But, but these guys come along and they go, hey, hey, that guy Jesus is in town. He's just down the road. How about if we carry you over there and maybe he'll make you well. Does that sound kind of needy, kind of vulnerable? Kind of like, well, what if I get there and he can't do anything? I get my hopes up. I don't know, guys. <laughs> but these dudes are committed. They're going to get him there. I'm sure this man felt all kinds of sadness and disappointment, frustration, fear with these limitations, these physical limitations, but certainly socially there were some implications of this. Perhaps he felt disillusioned, certainly like self-pity. Why did this happen to me? Why am I in this condition? We, ha we have to have all of that in the picture when we think about this man going to Jesus. He's a real guy with a real life and a real heart And as we're reading this story this morning, I, I, I wonder, do you feel that way? Do you feel paralyzed by whatever struggles or failures you're experiencing? Have you ever had that thought that I don't know if I'm ever gonna get away from this? I don't know ever, if I can get over this. I don't know if God can really help me be restored. See, this story is meant to help us believe and as the last story was, this is far more significant spiritually than it is physically. That's the authority that we're trying to get our arms around. So these guys make a bold yet humble appeal. It's different than the leper, but it's real. I sort of felt like the humility side of it was these men coming alongside this paralytic. Socially, that probably wasn't a great association for them, but they're willing to help this guy. Maybe he's a friend, maybe he's not, but they're helping him get to Jesus. Verse 19, when they get to the place where Jesus is located, they can't find a way in. The crowds are too heavy. So finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, here's the bold part, and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst of Jesus. And there's, there's got to be a little bit of comedy in here. Just imagine all these dignified religious leaders sitting making sure everybody understands that they are the theological experts in the room. Jesus, I'm assuming he's it says he's teaching, and I don't know if he started healing yet, but there's ministry happening here. And then it's like something drops on somebody's head, like stuff starts falling down, and they're like, what the heck? And they're looking up, and they're thinking, what is going on here? 
And all of a sudden, man, the tiles come back and they see these guys looking over the edge at them. And then this mat with this guy in it starts dropping down to the ground. What a scene. I'm sure it was just absolutely silent in there. What is Jesus going to do with this? And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now listen to that. You're paralyzed. Physically, utterly vulnerable. Who knows how long it's been since those guys walked anywhere. Hopeless. And the first thing you hear is, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> what in the world is up with that? I, wait a minute. I didn't come here to be forgiven. I came here to be healed. And if, if they could have had this little side conversation, Jesus and this guy, he would have said, I know. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to heal you in a way that you never imagined. There, there is this hierarchy of need in us and we are so attentive to our physical needs and I don't, I'm not diminishing them, please hear me. But we are so obsessed and consumed with those that we lack an awareness around this this spiritual need that is so great, it would separate you and I from God for eternity. That is our need, I promise you. So Jesus speaks to that need. And I love, this is actually the first mention of faith. And it doesn't say, it just doesn't explain it. It just says, Jesus saw their faith. And I guess he's thinking, hey, anybody who's gonna tear up a roof and drop a guy down, that whatever, they, those guys gotta have some faith. And in response to that, grants forgiveness. It's just a glimpse. It's not a full explanation of how our faith and salvation and all that kind of stuff operates. It's just this glimpse that Jesus can do this. He can forgive. And that, that created a storm in the room with these religious leaders. Look in verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. That's funny. They weren't asking questions, but he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, what that man desperately wanted to hear. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Mm. I, 
I'm not sure the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, I don't know that they really wanted a Messiah. See, they saw Jesus as a threat, not a savior. So they go to blasphemy, which is just strange. That's like demeaning and perverting the nature and the character of God. So strange. But that's their only way of reacting to this threat. But Jesus just comes right at it head on and asks this question, so which is easier? Is it easier to say to this paralyzed guy, your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say, rise and walk? Well, the answer is obvious. I can say your sins are forgiven and nobody knows the difference. Whether he has been forgiven or not, I'm just saying your sins are forgiven. But what if... What if I said, rise and walk? Would that impress you? Like he's, he's exposing them and us. And where we find ourselves in that place of doubt and struggle, he's going, listen, so that you can have more confidence in this realm that's hard to see, the realm where you need forgiveness, I'm gonna do something physically, concretely to help you believe. So I'm gonna say to this guy, rise and walk, not to impress you with my physical abilities, but to impress you with my spiritual authority. So let this be evidence to you in your heart that God can address your greatest need. And just as in the previous encounter, immediate transformation. Once again, this is a spiritual deal. This is why we talk about conversion as this moment in time. You literally go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. You can't be in both. You're one or the other. And if If God says you are forgiven, you are in the kingdom of God then and forever based on his authority. So verse 25, immediately this paralyzed man rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. That's the purpose of all of this anyway. As much as we kind of think about what we need as it relates to us, at the end of the day, the highest aim of our God is to bring glory to himself. Twenty six amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. No doubt. Now this time the command was given to the man, not to the disease, but of course the man doesn't get up unless the disease departs. So there is this amazing immediate restoration. And once again, the purpose here was for everyone to understand that paralyzed man, 
his friends, the religious leaders, everybody who's looking on, understand you have a need that is greater than you realize, but I am greater than that need and I'll show you. Beautiful, beautiful moment. That man went home forgiven. And I'll just say this, if you're here today and you wonder about whether you have been forgiven or perhaps even could be forgiven, I want you to hear today, this is true. He can and will forgive you. All you need to do is ask with boldness and humility. And his answer to that question is always yes. There's a beautiful statement in uh, Joel 2, Acts 2, and Romans 10. It's repeated three times in our Bible. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. And Jesus had the authority and has the authority to make that promise. So take a moment. Perhaps you are living in a hopeless condition of some kind today. Maybe that was the condition you came in this morning. What kind of bold yet humble appeal would you like to make to the Lord? My encouragement to you is to make it. Ask. And allow him to make a healing declaration in your life. Allow him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Be needy with him. And experience transformation. Let me read these words to you and let let that just kind of usher us into a few moments of prayer. Hebrews 4.16. Man, one of my favorites. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Grace that is greater than all your sin. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. you and the Lord. He's listening. Speak to him for just a few moments.